Welcome to another episode of Bible Centered with Victor Jackson. I pray that you have been blessed by this series on Matthew as we have been going through verse by verse, expounding the scriptures, um, the context, why it's written. And um, it's been a privilege to share the word of God with you. Once again, I'm recording at home due to some uh, things that we're fixing at our family life center uh, and in our podcast studio. And so let's, let's get into Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter eight, verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? And when he went to the other side of the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Matthew is writing to the Jewish people to persuade them that he is the Christ. And now what Matthew is doing here is showing that he has authority over nature and authority over the demonic realm. That Jesus is more than just a healer, someone that can heal the leper, someone that can heal the centurion's servant, someone that can heal uh, the smallest of issues of a fever and Peter's mother-in-law, that it's more than just a good idea uh, to listen and to obey his teachings, but that this is God that we're dealing with. More than fancy words and beautiful rhetoric and uh, beatitudes, but this is God that we're dealing with. And and not only is this God that we're dealing with, we're dealing with. A 
God that has all authority over the seas and over the wind and over demonic forces. These are abstract things. These are things that cannot be controlled. No one can control the wind. No one can control the sea. No one can control a demon. But all three of these things bow in his presence. I'm so thankful that God can control uh, the uncontrollable. I'm so thankful that God has authority over some of the most powerful elements, the winds, the sea, and demons. He has complete authority over it. These are wild things. These are things that are abstract. And so Jesus just doesn't put what can be seen into subjection. He also can put what cannot be seen into subjection. Later in John, you would hear them talk about the wind blows where it listeth. You can hear the sound thereof. You can't tell from whence it comes or whence it goes. So is everyone that is born of the spirit. And so uh, it, it was very known in that time that the wind uh, could not be subjected to the will of man. But Jesus is God, and therefore it bows to him. Matthew is progressively illustrating throughout his gospel through these miracles that the Disciples are closer to getting an enlightenment on who he actually is. They see him as rabbi. They see him as teacher. They see him as an anointed messenger. But to just grab of Jesus as an anointed messenger or as just this historical figure that did good deeds, it falls short of who he is. He is God. Matthew is using all of these settings uh, to display his authority and his power. With each miracle that he does, he is hoping to allude to the Jewish mind that this isn't coming from some just good teacher, but this is God establishing his kingdom in the earth. Verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. Again, we can see here how kingdom posture is very different than cultural posture. Anyone that sees a storm and waves being uh, 
filling the boat is going to make you nervous. But the Bible says he was asleep. He had a peace in the midst of conflict. He had a peace in the midst of the storm. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and sea, and there was a great calm. What's amazing about this kingdom posture that Jesus had was that the storm didn't trouble him. All that all it did was reveal him. See, the storm, your storm doesn't trouble God. All it does is reveal God. Because the peace that was within Jesus in the storm, the storm provoked the peace that was in Jesus to come out of Jesus. So that's why he was able to say, peace be still. What was in him overpowered what was outside of him. That's what kingdom posture is. It's it's being able to speak. It's being able to thrive in the storm and not only thrive, but speak. And what was within him, the, the peace that was within him came out of him and created a calm on the external. That's the power of the kingdom. What is within us is able to overpower what is coming against us. That is kingdom posture. So this is a sign to the disciples that he's from another world. That he didn't get this authority from the academy or the synagogue. That he got it because he is God. And while the world is being um, scared of the storm, He's asleep because he, he, he knows how to speak to the storm. One word in that storm is going to obey him. And the peace that was within him, he spoke it out of him and it changed. It changed their surroundings. It changed their surroundings. They, they, they cannot be destroyed as long as Jesus is in the boat. Jesus' presence doesn't guarantee that a storm won't come, but it does guarantee that you'll make it through. Stop interpreting the presence of storms as the absence of Jesus. The presence of storms in your life is not the absence of God, but you have to understand that it's there to reveal his nature. It's there to reveal who he is. It is there to reveal who he is. And so that's that's what we have to think of. That's what we have to think of.
we have to come to the understanding that my storm doesn't mean God's absence. I'm going to make it through this. Why? Because I have him on my boat. And I understand how that feels when you have Jesus on your boat. This should be the place that is storm proof. This should be the place that is storm proof. I shouldn't have to deal with any of this because Jesus is in my boat, but, but he uses the storm to reveal his nature. He uses the storm to reveal his nature. The Bible says in verse 27, and the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? He's, he speaks, it's reminiscent of really Genesis 1 because he speaks and order comes, right? Genesis 1, the world is in chaos and, and he speaks one word and everything starts coming into order. And, and while the storm is raging, while the winds and the sea is going crazy, he speaks and, and everything comes into proper alignment. That's what I love about the kingdom. The kingdom's will is in us, but we have to start speaking so the kingdom can affect what's, what's on the outside. I'm glad I have peace on the inside. But I got to speak to my world and make sure peace comes on the outside. And, and we got, we have to start talking. We have to start speaking. We have to start speaking those things that are not as though they were. It's one of the privileges and the responsibilities of kingdom. We have to open our mouths. We have to stop taking what's going on in the world, what's going on in the community, what's going on in your family, what's going on in your marriage, what's going on in your kids. And we have to start opening up our mouths to say something because we have authority in our voice to change the atmosphere. And we have to learn to equalize the pressure. When I flew on 220 flights a year. Anytime you go 36,000 miles in the sky, what can happen is your ears pop because of the cabin pressure. And there's pressure being uh, pushed upon you in that cabin. And what happens is your ears uh, start uh, popping. And so what you have to do when your ears are popping is that you have to expand your lungs and you have to yawn. And what yawning does is the air that is within you pushes against the air that is outside of you. And, and, and all of a sudden, uh, 
you, your 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 ears your ears pop and you 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 feel better. Why? Because you have equalized the pressure. You have to learn to equalize the pressure. With whatever force of what's coming against you, you have within you to expand out of you. You have something in you that you need to speak to equalize the pressure coming against you. Whatever fear, whatever temptation, whatever valley is coming against you, you have to open up your mouth and equalize the pressure. You have to open up your mouth and equalize the pressure. And that is um, that is so important. Jesus shows us in examples that the peace that was within him, it wasn't doing nothing because he has peace, right? He's sleeping. But the problem is the ship doesn't have peace. The problem is the, the winds and the sea don't have peace. And we, we have to stop sleeping on what God has put in us. And, and we have to wake up and open up our mouths and begin to speak some things to affect what's happening on the outside. We have the authority to change our environment based on what we say. That's a kingdom responsibility and a kingdom posture and a kingdom um, kingdom privilege. Verse 28, and when he came to the other side to the country of the gatherings, Two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass by that way. Sometimes the storm can be interpreted not as a coincidence, but it's amazing that he, he, he faces a storm on the way to Gadara where there's two demon-possessed men waiting on him. You know, it, it's amazing the things that will try to inter interfere with Jesus getting to somebody or with somebody getting to Jesus. But the storm couldn't stop him. I'm going to talk to somebody here. Your storm can't stop Jesus from getting to you. He's going to do whatever it takes to get to you. Isn't it amazing when you try to get closer to the Lord, the amount of resistance that you face? Every time you make a new consecration, you know, you go home and it's some type of adversity. It's some type of resistance. And, and it's discouraging. Because hell knows that if you keep that commitment, your whole life is going to change. You're going to change people around you. So all of hell is resisting you to, to make sure you don't become what God has ordained you to become. These demon-possessed men, they were dwelling in tombs. Well, what, what the enemy did is that these two people that he possessed, 
He's bringing them to the, to the tombs because he is literally trying to kill them. They're becoming fascinated with the concept of death. They were being so tormented that they were uh, fascinated with the concept of death. They're being around the tombs. This is a Gentile area. This is a Gentile territory. And the Bible says that they cried out, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So we see the demons confess that he's the Son of God. They ask that they understand that they're destined for judgment. Verse 30, Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. Now, this is how you know it's Gentile territory. There's at least 2,000 pigs here. And he said to them, go. And they came out and went to the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. It's amazing that the uncleanliness that was in the men was cast out of the men and put into an unclean animal. Isn't that interesting? And as soon as it was cast out of the man and put into uh, the unclean pigs, the filth that was in man God took it out and put it into the filthy pigs and and the and the filth went to the water and the filth couldn't survive the water Isn't this reminiscent of baptism The filth can't survive the water The filth can't survive the water. When when we get baptized in, in the name of Jesus, whatever filth, whatever past, whatever we have come with, it can't survive the water. It gets drowned in the water. It gets drowned in his name. The filth can't survive the water. And so... What's interesting about this is that, number one, the demons recognize his authority, understanding that they are destined for judgment. Number two, they are in the tombs, they're tormented. This highlights the power of the human spirit and the human soul. Because these two men were living with thousands of demons within them. And uh, they 
had an aura of resilience against this, these spirits because these spirits intention was to kill them, but the, but it couldn't kill them. It could only bring them into an environment of death. I'm going to talk to somebody here. When, when these 2000 devils were cast into these pigs, the pigs immediately committed suicide. But these two demon-possessed men were living with these demons that were trying to cause them to commit suicide, but they couldn't kill them. They could only bring them into an environment of death. This shows the resilience and the power of the human spirit that, that God put his image in you and that 2,000 devils that are trying to make these men die every day, they had no power to do it. Do you see the force of the human spirit? 2,000 devils couldn't, couldn't, couldn't make it bow in obedience to take its life. But when those 2,000 devils are sent into the pigs, those pigs immediately ran to their deaths because they could not handle those pressures. Humans can deal with the pressure that no other animal, no other being, no other species can deal with. And although... They are possessing him. They cannot get their ultimate aim done because of the image they bear. You have more power than you think you have. And no devil can destroy you. God's hand is on your life. You have been made in the image of God. Before you were formed in the belly, God knew you. And you, you can withstand more than you think that you can withstand. You don't have to give in to the lies of the devil. You, you can come out of the tombs. You, you, can, you don't have to live in those tombs. You don't have to have your mind in those tombs. The tombs is not the place for you to live. Is not the place for you to stay. You see, when hell can't kill you, he'll try to bring you into an environment that provokes you to harm yourself. Where you get so miserable that, that you think of harming yourself. As a, as a matter of fact, in... Um, in Madagascar, they have something called Fami Dahana. Fami Dahana is a ritual in Madagascar. In Madagascar, they spend more money on, on their graves than they do their houses. I'm going to talk to somebody here. They, they are more excited 
about where they will die than where they will live. Fami Dahana, this word Fami Dahana, it literally means dancing with the bones. And the ritual is, is that the, this tribe will go into their ancestors' graves and pull their those bones out. Wrap those bones in new garments. Put those bones on their shoulder and start going dancing. Just start dancing with the ritual celebrating an entrance into new lives. Just just it's a it's a it's a strange ritual. But they will literally dance with these bones. And after dancing with these bones, they they would put it back. But the problem is, is that all of a sudden the bubonic plague, the black death, it started spreading in Madagascar. Families were dying. People were being infected. The bubonic plague hadn't been seen for 500 years since it had destroyed one-third of Europe's population. This is the Black Plague. that hadn't been seen for 500 years. So as they were studying research, what is the origin? Where did this come from? How did Madagascar have a breakout? And they realized when they started touching the bones that they made contact with the Black Plague. And, and when they started digging up their history, their history sabotaged their present. Are you getting what I'm saying? You got to come out of the tombs. You've got to get delivered all the condemnation and the things that hell is holding over your life. You have to stop digging in that world. You have to go, start looking forward. And because they were so invested in their past, the past started sabotaging the present. People started dying today over a plague that was buried for the past 500 years. They were dancing with the bones. They were more excited about dancing with their history than, than they were about rejoicing over their future. And hell wants you to spend all your time trying trying to correct and just celebrate uh, what happened or or mourn and 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 be in in a bad mindset because of what happened yesterday instead of rejoicing about the opportunity of today and the opportunity of the future and the gift that is in the present They they were dancing with, with the bones. And they were more willing to invest in their history than to invest in their future. And, and you, you, you have to come out of those tombs. You have to come out of those tombs. You, you have to come out of those tombs because the more you think about the past and the more you think about 
the those the the all of those things from yesterday the more you think about it the more depressed that you're going to feel the more like you feel like there's no escape the more you give an advantage to satan you have to come out of the tombs and put your focus on jesus i'm so thankful that even while these two men were demon possessed and no other person could come and help them the bible says that they met jesus i'm so thankful that two thousand devils could not stop a man from meeting jesus there is no devil in hell that can stop you from coming to jesus there's no devil in hell there's no there's no uh, authority there's no spirit that can stop a man from coming to jesus this is what jesus christ came to break he came to break and he came to bridge the gap between god and man and he came to destroy the works of the devil that would hold men hostage hold men and women hostage from coming into a proper relationship with him and this is what he came to do he came to destroy the works of the devil and and deliver from the power of satan unto the power of god from the powers of darkness unto the powers of god he came to set us free from the torment of the enemy through his body he did that for us and we see what jesus did for us is that that he destroyed the demonic world with his sacrifice matthew is showing jesus superiority over the leper over diseases that have never been healed over the, his willingness to heal uh, a gentile servant He was healing those oppressed by demons. He cast out spirits with his word. He healed all that was sick. He rebukes the winds and the sea, his superiority over nature, and his superiority over the demonic world to set free the captives. But you got to stop dancing with the bones. And when hell can't destroy you, he'll try to put an environment around you that can create an environment to, to help you destroy yourself. You got to come out of those tombs and you got to come and meet Jesus. Because you can't live there. You can't live in that environment. You got to come out of it. Madagascar, they, they, it's, it's a certain tribe that spends more money on their, their graves than they do their houses. They're more fascinated with the concept of death than the concept of life. If I were to ask you about your past, you would be very detailed and very specific and take me back to two years ago and take me back to five years ago and tell me on how March 5th, 1995, March, March 12th, 2006, 
all of these things. You can take me all the way back in all of your history. You know it so well. You're very detailed. But if I start asking you about the future, all of a sudden, it's very general. It's like, oh, well, God's going to do something. God's going to. No, we've got to start getting specific about our future. We've got to start being detailed and be more invested in what's coming instead of what has been. The relationship that have died, all the friendships that have died, all the things that have that that have collapsed around us. We have to come out from that and come and meet Jesus. And when you meet Jesus, there's gonna there's a future. Jesus cast out the filth and he put the filth into the filthy animal, and the filth ran to the water, and the filth couldn't survive the water. Can I tell you what happens when the filth goes to the water? You come out with a sound mind. You, you, you come out with a, with a sound mind. You come out with, 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 a, new, with a new day. You, you come out with a new, new opportunity. The filth can't survive the water. And this is in Gentile territory he's doing this. He Everywhere he's stepping, he's taking authority. And, and, and this, this is just profound. And Matthew is showing this because let me tell you, you know what's more powerful than the winds and the seas and demons? You know what's more powerful? The human will. Jesus can cause winds to obey him, cease to obey him, demons to obey him, but man has to choose to obey him. God will not force man to obey him. Isn't that incredible? That's how powerful our will is. That he has authority over all these things, over leprosy, over all of these things. But one thing he won't make you do is he won't make you follow him. That's the gift that we have, the gift of free will. That he has all this authority. So he's trying to persuade of what God can do in us when we are yielded to him. The Bible says the herdsmen fled in verse 33. And going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged them, to leave their region. Look at this. He shows the, the this authority over the demonic world. Listen to this. He cast out the devils and these two demon-possessed men. Now they're clothed and they're in their right mind. And after this happens, all the people can focus on is not on the restored lives, but on the loss of money 2,000 pigs they lost they were more inve invested in profit than they were people and so while these two men are restored and they're not fierce anymore the people can only focus on the loss of income and they came out to meet Jesus see the demon-possessed men, they came out to meet Jesus to get deliverance. But the city comes out to meet Jesus 
for him to depart. Oh my goodness. They, they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Now what Matthew is showing here is that the Jews and the Gentiles are, are, are guilty. And you're going to see this as we get closer, as we get closer to um, um, uh, the cross, that, that the Gentiles and the Jews are guilty. That even though the Gentiles have a sensitivity and willing to come from afar to worship him, what we're seeing here is uh, the first thread that that even the Gentiles, they they their values were are different. And 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 while the Jews are you know making money in the synagogue, these guys are making money off of pigs. And and what did he just say? You can't serve God and money. And and people constantly are choosing the temporary over the eternal. They begged him to leave. Can you imagine that? He does this amazing miracle and they begged him to leave. They're like, listen, if you stay around any longer, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna lose more money. Not understanding that the kingdom, like the kingdom, my goodness, it, it is a pearl of great price. The kingdom is greater than any amount of money. The kingdom, you can't put a price tag on it. Yes, you lost thousands of pigs, but what is the value of a human soul? A human soul is more valuable than any amount of money, than any amount of livestock, than any amount of land, than anything else. A soul is more valuable. But they begged him to leave. They begged him to depart. While the while these men meet him for deliverance, the city meets him to depart. And it is Matthew showing Jesus' authority. And look, look what Jesus does. He commands the demons to depart, and then the people come and command him to depart. That if there's one door that God God will break down every wall. God will break down demons. God will break down the nature. But one thing he'll never do is break someone's heart. He will never break down the door to someone's heart. We have to let him in. He stands at the door and knocks. He won't rush in. He won't swing the door off the hinges. We have to invite him in. Right? We have to invite him in. And this powerful God that has authority over the winds and the seas and demons, yet he's a gentleman and he will not force himself on anybody. He waits until we let him in. Wow. That's that's just powerful. They begged them to leave their region. The demons were begging to stay in the region. The people are begging Jesus to get out of the region. They rather have devils with money 
than to have God without money. And, and Matthew is, is highlighting and showing the heart of people. The power of God in the heart of people. The power of God and the heart of people. And the demons going into that lake, it's like a foreshadowing of the demons going into the lake of fire, the judgment that's going to be coming to them. It's, 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 it's an amazing, it's amazing thing. It's a beautiful thing that Matthew is just highlighting Jesus' authority. You're going to see this more and more and more. You're going, you're going to see this um, over the next six chapters of the power of God and how Jesus is working these miracles to reveal who he is. And not only reveal who he is, but but to show he has all authority and power. And this is going to ebb and flow till we get to the cross in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, the first mention of him dying in Matthew chapter 16. That's the climax of, of the book. And it's going to hasten to the cross. But God's a good God. He has authority. He has complete control. And all he asks is for us to give him our heart. And Matthew's going to continue to express his authority and his power as an invitation to follow. I'm excited. Tomorrow, it, we have Spanish Saturday. We're going to have a sermon, a Spanish sermon. And uh, Sunday, we're going to have an English sermon. Sermon Sundays, Spanish Saturdays and Sermon Sundays. And then we'll pick up on Matthew chapter 9 on Monday. Share this with somebody. I pray it's been a blessing.